Hey guys, you're listening to Drunken Uncultured. We are a drinking problem masquerading as a pop culture podcast. I'm Lindsay. I'm Stephanie. And it's uh, Spooktober. It's halfway, no, it's regular Halloween. <laughs> it's, regu- it's regular Halloween. <laughs> I was like, what do I normally say here? Something about um, the electric spookaloo. <laughs> um, that's only ever the part two episode oh. is the electric spookaloo. But if we do the electric spookaloo every year, is it really a part two? What is this, like the fourth year we're doing the podcast? Third? This is the fourth year of doing it. We've done it for three full years. Okay, so this is the this is Halloween. This is Halloween part seven. <laughs> okay, so part eight will be... The Ocho? A, a, a... <laughs> That's what it's going to be. It's going to be Halloween part eight, the Ojo. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a, it's Spooktober. Happy, happy Spooktober, everyone. Uh, it's time to make sure you leave, leave. candy for, th- well, I was going to say, like, what do you leave out for Halloween? Okay. Nothing? No, nothing. <laughs> I eat the candy. I don't leave it out for children. Fuck those kids. That's why I live in a second floor apartment, so no one can knock on my door. Yep. Um, so it's the first episode of the month, which I forgot until we started recording. <laughs> um, it is time for me to take over Stephanie's music corner. Um... So I'm going to talk about five albums that came out in the month of September, which I thought today was still September. <laughs> so As we're gonna I. talk about we're gonna talk about five albums that came out in the month of September. So the first album I want to talk about came out on September 10th. It's the newest album from the band Sleigh Bells, and it's called Texas. Um, this album, like I love Sleigh Bells so much, they are very consistent in their sound and in the music that they put out. Like everything just goes so hard and it's so Mm -hmm. good. That is one of the loudest concerts I think I've ever been to is Sleigh Bells. Okay. So it, this album is loud. It's still got a great use of their heavy electronics and the songs are like bops. Like they go real hard. They're really fun to listen to. Okay, cool. I need to, I'm, just for everyone's understanding, I am behind on Stephanie's list. I did not listen to any music this month except for, like, things that came out in October. Um, yeah. But I will check this one out. Yeah. Um, this, I I wasn't going to get tickets to see their show next year just because I've seen them quite a few times. But this album came out and I was like, nope, I have to get tickets now because I have to go see them. Um, the next one also came out on September 10th. Um, this is Amel and the Sli- the Sniffers. Uh, their new album is called Comfort to Me. So these guys are a female-fronted, you know, post-punk genre thing, but they're from Melbourne. So it's a little bit more of a grittier sound than some of what we've discussed in previous episodes about, like, the UK windmill group. Um, this album's really good. It's really high energy. Um... She has like a um 
It reminds me of um, like the Riot Girl sound from the 90s. Like that's the way her vocals sound and some of their lyrics sound. And I, I think it's so much fun to listen to. Um, I gave this. Oh, I didn't say the last one. I gave Sleigh Bells a nine. And I also gave this one a nine. Uh, the next one is a very different genre. Um, also came out on September 10th. It's the new album from Casey Musgraves, and it's called Starcrossed. So I actually really like Casey Musgraves for her being a pop country type artist. I think her music's a little bit on the softer side and almost feels closer to like indie rock sound, um, which is why I think I find it so much easier to listen to than a lot of other pop country. Um, she does really, really good work on her albums. Um, I have the song Breadwinner off of this album just like stuck in my head at all times. And it didn't help that one day it just showed up on my TikTok feed and is in like every video. Um, I gave this one a nine out of 10 as well. I do really, really like this album. Um, I will say, I don't think that she hits quite as hard as her last album, which I'm blanking on the name of it right now. But it's it's a really good album. I highly recommend listening to it. The next one came out on 917. Um, this is a highly anticipated album, and I was so excited when they finally announced the release date for this. It's the new album from it's the the album from Lil Nas X called Montero. Um I will say this, I think some of the singles that he chose to release were some of like the best songs on the album, but there's a lot of other really fun songs and the album itself is just a lot of fun to listen to. And emotionally, it makes me go, oh, this is really hype. Oh, wait, now I'm really depressed. Oh, wait, now I'm really hyped again. Oh, wait, now I'm really depressed again. (laughs) So it takes you on a bit of a little musical journey, but I actually really liked it. I don't know if you've listened to the whole thing, Lindsay, but I know you've listened to some of it. Yeah, I haven't listened to the whole thing yet. Um, Just the singles, and like from that, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, I actually really enjoyed the album. I gave it an 8. Again, I think that's because the singles were some of the best songs on the album, and I think I would have liked a little bit more of that anticipation of, you know, finding some of these hits in the album. But I did really enjoy it. Um, The last one also came out of the 17th. So this one came out a little bit of left field for me. Um, It's the artist Liz Lawrence and her new album is called The Avalanche. So I found out about Liz Lawrence uh, eight, nine years ago because she was uh, a part of the touring group for Bombay Bicycle Club. So if you've listened to Bombay Bicycle Club and heard a female voice, it's Liz Lawrence. She was their female singer on the touring group. Um, So I've never actually heard her solo music before. You know, I just knew her supporting, as you like to call them, BBC. The BBC. The BBC. I absolutely loved this album. Um, I loved this album so much that I immediately turned around and went and bought a copy on vinyl. Nice. Where'd you get it? Uh, I got it from Rough Trade. Um, I was going to buy it through her website, um, but they only had a black version. Mm -hmm. And then I saw Rough Trade, even in the U.S., they had a green copy. So I bought it from there. Um, I gave this album a perfect 10. It's really high energy for it being her being like an indie singer songwriter. 
and it's a really fun album to listen to. Um, I could not speak highly enough of her. Her voice is fantastic, and she's got such a unique sounding voice that this album was just so good to listen to. Nice. Yeah, I didn't get through this. I actually started listening to this today and then had some things pop up that I had to pay attention to. Um, But I liked what I had to listen to so far. Yeah, the album itself is very good. So, yeah, that is what I have for this week. Cool. So, with that, let's get into the beer. Stephanie, what are you drinking today? Um, I am drinking... um, Actually... (laughs) I just realized we've done an October beer from this brewery before. Um, I am drinking the PB&J Scrumdillyumptious Bar from Scorched Earth. So Oh, nice. Yeah, we did the... Um, the the Crypt Keeper or whatever. Yeah, their what pumpkin called. brown ale a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a peanut butter and jelly chocolate bar inspired milk stout. Nice. I almost also got a PB&J milk stout. Um, So I'm having milk truck latte stout from Mother Earth Brewing Company, and they are based out of Vista, California, and Nampa, Idaho. Interesting. This is a 5.8% beer, and it's made with vanilla, coffee, lactose, and oats. Um, I am drinking a 10.3% beer um, made with cacao nibs, uh, peanut butter, raspberry, strawberry, caramel, vanilla, and milk sugar. What's interesting about this is, like, the initial smell aroma coming off of this is not like a stout at all it smells like like a lager almost or like an ale this smells like straight up raspberry which i'm here for because i love raspberry but then like the second notes come in and like it's coffee forward well that's nice it's like really light this has a very light flavor for how heavy in abv it is um the beer itself is pretty thin yeah so it's not you know like painful to drink because you know sometimes these like heavy adjunct milk stouts are so thick that it's like hard to drink this is super thin texturally um you get a lot of like the 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 jam air saying Mm -hmm. that air quotes the jam flavor and the peanut butter flavor you don't get as much of the chocolate i will say this is heavy like the peanut butter and jelly type flavor yeah i would say that this is heavy coffee and heavy roasted like malts Mm -hmm. texturally speaking it's very light very thin it drinks more like an ale or like um like a thinner beer in general than it does Mm -hmm. an ipa sorry than it does a stout It doesn't have a creaminess from the oats, which is surprising. That is kind of surprising. So when, uh, you know, stouts especially being on the creamier side, when they have yeah. that um, oat adjunct or oat thrown in there, it really makes it like different texturally. Yeah. So that's interesting that it doesn't have that. So let's get into the three descriptors here. Um, how would you describe your beer? 
I'm gonna say light, roasty, and coffee. Like light roasted coffee. Um, and so light for, referring to texture. For this, I'm going to say sweet. I'm going to say peanut butter, and I'm going to say roasty. Peanut butter is two words, but whatever. Well, it's I'll a it single descriptor. I understand. I always have to give you a hard time, though. So how about you kick us off with the topic this episode? We're doing a, let's call it a double feature, because I don't think we've ever done two film-based episodes in a month. Yeah, I don't know if we have. Um, so this is the double feature, though, because we're doing two film-based episodes this month. But I'll let you... Uh, uh, and two anniversaries, take... right? Two, Yeah, it's two major film franchise anniversaries in yeah. the month. Well, this one's the technical anniversary is later this year, but we're celebrating yeah. it in Halloween. Um, so we're celebrating the anniversary of the Scream franchise, um, which is my favorite um, horror franchise. Um, it's the 25th anniversary of, well, not yet, but in December, it'll be the 25th anniversary of the first Scream, which came out in 1996. So, um, to go into a little bit of history, the first Scream film was released on December 20th of 1996. It was directed by Wes Craven, best known for Nightmare on Elm Street, The Hills Have Eyes, Last House on the Left. Um, and it was written by Kevin Williamson who has worked on Supernatural, Dawson's Creek, Vampire Diaries, and he's also well-known for writing um, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Uh, Scream has is kind of described, if you're unaware, with the franchise. Um, it's a satirical slasher film, um, and it's specifically known for these meta-type horror movie references throughout the series. Um... The film was originally going to be titled Scary Movie, and it was actually being referred to as Scary Movie up until right around the time that they were uh, announcing the release. Mm-hmm. Um, and Scream is actually recognized as uh, revitalizing the horror genre in the 90s. Um, after a long time of direct-to-video releases in the 80s and early 90s, and... Um, this franchise in particular has been known for, you know, like these really uh, well-received sequels, which was, you know, kind of the, a bit of the first for a really long time in the horror franchise. Because if you think about sequels, normally they're kind of crappy, they're direct-to-home mm-hmm. video, they don't have the same kind of critical reception as the original, but the Scream franchise really has held up. Yeah, I mean, what I think is interesting about, like, the popularity of Scream is also knowing that it's more of a cult mm-hmm. favorite than anything because it like when it came out in December, it's an off season. Yep, I believe it came out on the back of Mars Attacks, which was like a, a big release at the time too. It um, came out in ninety six. Like, Mars Attacks, yeah. Oh, you're right. Continue. I thought that movie was older. No, um, and it. And it, like, didn't do nearly as well as they thought it would do uh, in theater. Um, yeah, I was reading about favorite that. after the fact. Yeah, I feel like a lot of these types of horror films don't do particularly well in theaters, and then they really get their popularity after the fact. 
Yeah, and that's like you're not wrong though in saying that it did like revitalize the genre because it like while it didn't get its popularity in the theater, the 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 following the subsequent two movies were big box office hits. Yeah. Even the fourth one, shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Um, so why don't you kind of tell us a little bit about where the concept came from for this? Because we've we've talked about it before. Yeah, so but I'll I'll get into it a little bit, but um if you're looking for like a, a deeper dive into this serial killer, um we talk pretty in depth about it in our season two episode nine um episode. Uh, and that's called The Gang's Just Chillin' Killin', where we talk about some of our favorite serial killers. Um, that's and such a good That name. name actually comes from, like, a meme of Ghostface. <laughs> right. Like, on the phone. So, a fantastic reference there. Um, but the Scream series was inspired by a set of real-life um, serial murders uh, that took place in the town of Gainesville, Florida, where the University of Florida is located. Um, the murderer was named as the, or was known as the Gainesville Ripper. Um, and he basically murdered five college students. It was a string of murders throughout the, like the week. Um, uh, and like he broke into someone's house, uh, this girl's house, uh, raped and murdered her. It's pretty gruesome what he did. And I'll go, I go into it a little bit more in that episode. So definitely check that out. Um, but the the way the town reacted is very similar to how uh, Woodsboro reacted in Scream. So, like, everything shut down. There was a curfew. People were on the lookout. Um, and so when I say it's heavily influenced, like, there are pieces of the story, obviously, that are not the same. But, like, the gruesome nature, the young, like, co-ed, mm-hmm. um, like, teenage, early 20s um, subject matter is the same. And then, like, it taking place in a college versus a uh, high school um, but you can definitely, once you hear and understand a little bit more about, like, the inspiration, you totally see the similarities. Yeah, and I know uh, this movie, too, in particular, was heavily inspired by Halloween from 1980 mm-hmm. or 1978. And yep. that's, it's, that's why in the film they specifically are watching Halloween throughout yeah. the film. I actually, um, I have a comment about that because I think it's really funny. Um, obviously, like the main character's name in Halloween is Jamie. Mm-hmm. And Jamie Kennedy is the one watching the scene uh, in the movie where um, the killer's behind Jamie in the, the movie, and he's yelling, it's behind you, Jamie, it's behind you. Like, oh, yeah. Around. And yeah. at the same time, like, Ghostface is behind Jamie Kennedy's character, Randy. Mm-hmm. And I, I, like, it's too perfect that Jamie Kennedy was the one yelling yeah. that because I was watching. I was like, no, Jamie, it's behind you. It's behind you, Jamie. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, just a little, <laughs> little tidbit there. Um, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about the writing and the development of the original, um, the first film. Yeah. Because I think it's just really interesting kind of how it got to the point of even being made. Um, so Kevin Williamson wrote the story for Scary Movie 1, 2, and 3 over the course of three days. I saw that. Um, he was heavily influenced by horror movies, and in an interview, he said he just was looking to create a film that he wanted to watch. And he was trying to create the kind of film he would want to watch, and that's kind of where, you know, the whole concept came from. And he thought that pitching a studio a three you know a trilogy 
I almost said a three-parter. <laughs> By pitching the studio a trilogy, he thought that it would be a better like package deal to be a part of it. Um, the story actually was way too graphic and had to be dialed back significantly with the amount of gore that was described and the types of killing. Um, and I made a note that that's clearly not an issue when it comes to Scream 4. But I feel you, like it's still like a there's still a bit of gore going on in Scream One. It's it's still I want you to think about the gore in the first Scream yeah. and just realize it's that's significantly dialed back yeah. from the original concept. Yeah. Um, the script itself was sold for four hundred thousand dollars to Dimension, which is a part of Miramax, which I think we all are well aware is the Weinstein Brothers company. Um. Wes Craven had read the script before the sale and was trying to convince a studio to buy the script when he found out it had just sold. Um, he he wasn't sure that he had wanted to direct it, and he actually was approached several times to direct it, and he turned it down. Um, he wasn't even the original director they wanted. They approached Danny Boyle, George Romero, Sam Raimi, you know, a couple of the big cult classic horror hard hitter directors um but Wes Craven actually turned it down because he was trying to distance himself from the horror genre um he had been working on a remake of The Haunting and that production kind of fell apart when he was working on it and so he was looking for a new project to work on uh Drew Barrymore actually requested to be brought into the cast for Scream she read the script and she was brought on to play she was originally brought on to play Sydney Prescott. What I think is also interesting is Courtney Cox also requested to be in this movie. Yeah. Um, at the time, she was in Friends, and it was hard for her to get a role outside of Friends because of her, like, good girl image. So she mm-hmm. asked to, like, she wanted to do something that would allow her to, like, branch out. But um, when, quote unquote, real actresses signed on to do the film, Wes Craven decided that, okay, now, you know, this is a real thing that's happening i want to be a part of it obviously eventually we all know drew barrymore uh backed down from playing the lead role into playing her role that she's very well known for in this film as the first one to die um but yeah i i did not know she was originally brought on to play the lead and she had other commitments and thought the lead role was going to be too demanding and had to drop out yeah, and I think that, like, Drew Barrymore is, like, one of the most iconic characters in the Scream franchise, and she oh, was only in it for, like, five minutes. Um, and what I think is interesting uh, that we I were think she's about... in it for, like, ten minutes, because when we were watching it, I made Steve watch it with me, and he's like, oh my god, this intro is so long. The opening well, the sequence is so long. Is because, like, we were just talking about this before we started recording, but, like, all of the marketing materials acts as though um Drew she's the lead. is the main character yeah. she is like the the face on the back of this of, of the poster she's like in the front of like the cast photo of mm-hmm. on the poster and you and i were talking about this but the decision to have her killed off so early on was something that uh drew barrymore brought to mm-hmm. um Wes craven and the, the the crew and she was basically like you know, my least favorite thing about a horror movie is, like, the fact that I know that the main character is going to survive. And she thought it would be, like, a great, like, um, what's the word, uh, twist 
Mm-hmm. I don't know why I couldn't remember the word twist. A, a great twist that, like, the biggest actor, like, one of the biggest actors in this movie dies immediately. That's the first one to die, yeah. That's yeah. what I think's really interesting. I agree. It's really cool that they do that because... It, uh, technically, com- she's not the first one to die, by the way. No, well, she's one of the Steve first. Steve is the first one to Steve die. Steve is the first one to die. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's it worked out so well, and I think it makes the movie so much more interesting to watch, knowing it's literally that, like, iconic. the biggest name on this film is the fir- one of the yeah. first to die. It's, like, literally iconic. It's, like, the best part of the movie is just that, that scene where, like, you expect her to get through it, and there are so many opportunities where she's about to. Mm-hmm. So, um, I guess why don't we just kind of start talking the first film some more then, since we're already going that way. Yeah, uh, so, I mean, I think we both have, like, the, the a little bit about Drew Barrymore. Um, I like your note that says, when she dies, all I can think of is the scene in Scary Movie that makes fun of where the girl gets stabbed and pulls out her breast implant. That is all I can think about, honestly. <laughs> There's so many parts of this movie where I can only think about the scary movie parody of it. And well, that's, that's like what I find. Them. One of the things I find so funny, because I had no idea that this movie was originally going to be called Scary Movie. I and that either. makes the fact that there's an entire scary movie franchise so much funnier. <laughs> it is. And the scary movie franchise was like, realistically, probably conceptualized because of this movie making fun of, like, other horror movies. Oh, yeah, absolutely. With this film in particular having so many references, I think that it just kind of made sense to create this bananas dark comedy show. Mm-hmm. Also, the first um, scary movie is so fucking funny. It really it's is. so heavy around the Scream film. It's just so funny. Yeah, it's, like, heavy around Scream and I Know You Did Last Summer, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, my other note on here is, I'll skip some of them, but there's a point where he's asking her horror movie questions because she likes horror movies, Mm -hmm. um, and she has to answer them right or her boyfriend Steve is going to be killed, and after he, like, she answers something wrong, they ask her, like, the final question, and it's, what door am I at? And re-watching this, I realize now that there is no way for her to get that answer right because there are two two killers. killers. And they were at both doors, more than likely. And I don't think I ever, like, that never connected in my head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think I really thought about that either. I was reading your notes, and I was like, huh, you're right. She could never have gotten that right, because there's two of them. Right. Like, she, I mean, obviously she was never going to survive, but even no. if she had answered it and, like, gotten it right, like, it wasn't right. Um, and then I also have... Like, the the hanging her scene is just kind of insane, because, like, they, like, disembowel her after, obviously. Oh, yeah. And they had to have gotten her body up, like, really quickly, because her parents, like, came home Were while she there. was being killed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing is I have is that, like, I forgot that they played Sydney as being so, like, virginal and pure. Yeah. And I forgot that that was a whole, like, commentary on, um, like, Halloween. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, like, or Jamie's character in Halloween. The other thing I have as a note, um, in that first scene where you, where Billy pops up into, uh, Sydney's bedroom and is, like, trying to get her to have sex is mm-hmm. that she says <laughs> a little on top of the clothes stuff. And I'm like, 
What the actual fuck? Um, one thing I made a note. I don't have it here, but I did like make a note about it. Um, and I was reading it. The reason that Skeet Ulrich was cast was because he reminded the actors of Johnny Depp in the '90s when he was I in like that. Crybaby. And I like was watching it, and I was like, he looks so much like Johnny Depp in Crybaby. Also, like. I high key hate that I'm attracted to Billy I'm, in this movie. I'm not. I think he's oh, too he's weird so looking. Hot. I think he's I think super he's hot. Looking. I also just think Ski Ulrich is like, as an as an old man, is still hot. See, he's not for me. I got like a Sam Rockwell thing for him. You do have a Sam Rockwell thing. Is that what we're calling it now? Is it just the Sam Rockwell thing? When I'm into like, not appropriately old men, not appropriately aged old men. It's the um, Sam Rockwell. The thing. other thing I have about that scene when mm-hmm. Billy first comes in is that they use a cover of Don't Fear the Reaper. They the soundtrack for this movie is really good. Yes, but like the use of that, like if you and it's hard to catch. Like I don't know how I caught it because they don't you don't hear it very often, like the sound. Mm-hmm. You just kind of hear like the like the very beginning of it. And it's mm-hmm. it's a, such a different cover than the actual song. Um so like in the rewatch, I was as I or you know, I've watched it so many times, but like this time I'm watching to analyze it. I noticed mm-hmm. it and uh it was like that's uh like that tells you who the killer is. Oh absolutely. The use of Don't Fear the Reaper while like in that scene and in that moment is very indicative. Um I I think the soundtrack for this movie is so good. Um yeah. also I'm a huge Nick Cave fan. So the fact that they use red right hand like a hundred times throughout the film, they just keep using different clips of the same song. Like I just love yeah. that song. So that was great for me. Um, the other things I have on here that are notable is that like Billy is absolutely gaslighting Sydney. Like it's, very much. It's very obvious to me where we like that Billy is the killer. Yes. Um, I think well, the big he's twist like... in this movie is that there's a second person in on it. Agreed. It's not that Billy is the killer. Is That's not the twist. Because it's very obvious. It's that it's Stu that is Stu involved. Is yeah. involved, yeah. Because Stu, I feel like you don't suspect. Billy, you absolutely do. And they, like, well, you're also not it. thinking it's going to be two killers. Because if you think right. about the inspiration from the original horror films, there's one killer. There's not two. Mm-hmm. There's you know there's just the one so by having that second person that's the twist of the film and that's the funny thing is that like this inspired other films to do like a double killer scenario Mm -hmm. and that's like kind of the plot of scream four is just like redoing scream one yeah um with the double killer thing too and like like this is like the iconic part of the movie is that there's always two killers like this this franchise Uh, except for the third one except for the third one yeah um, and then the other thing, my my favorite thing, my favorite murder in this movie is Rose McGowan. Rose McGowan? Miss Rose McGowan dying in the doggy door because it is just the most ridiculous, wild, outlandish thing. And like all I can, that's another one where all I can think about is a scary movie like version of it that's just out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> over the top. Um, but I also read an article or about how, like, she was so small that she couldn't stay in the doggy door. Like, she was falling out of it, and they had oh to, like, God. nail her clothes to the garage so that she would stay. Wow. Also, can't, like... Can't it, relate. <laughs> no, same. My shoulders <laughs> like, are too wide for that. One of my that. legs would, would get stuck. See, my shoulders are too wide for that. I can't relate. 
a single thigh of mine would get stuck. Um, one of my favorite, um, one of my couple of my favorite lines from this movie are actually from Rose McGowan's character. Um, at one point, she's talking to Sydney, and she's like, "You're starting to sound like some Wes Carpenter flick or something," and I laughed so hard. Steve's like, "I don't." find why you find it so funny i'm like it's because wes craven's the director you're missing yeah. the point um, um and then when but right before she dies she's like oh please don't kill me i want to be in the sequel she's got such great lines and she's like kind of a badass in the movie too where like until she, she holds dies. her own against the killer mm-hmm. like she's throwing beer balls at him and that's a fantastic idea yeah um, throwing the glass bottles at him this movie just so self self-referential like um, in Scream 2, when they are adapting um, Courtney Cox, uh, Gail Weathers' mm-hmm. um, book, The Westboro Murders, as uh, Stab. I um, love that the movie's just called Stab. <laughs> well, that's a reference to just the one word Scream Oh, I know. Too. And then um, that, like, Tori Spelling plays Neve Campbell, where, like, in the first movie, they're talking about, like, who's going to play the adaptation and she's like, oh, she's, probably Tori Spelling. And that's why they brought Tori Spelling on yes, to play her yeah. in the stab in uh, Scream Well, two. she was like, with my luck, it'll be Tori Spelling. Yeah. Yeah, that was very, that was done very much intentionally. Like, yeah. they, they literally were like, okay, can we get Tori Spelling to be in the second film? After well, that's kind of what this? I love about the fact that all three were written at the same time. Mm-hmm. Because they could tie them in that way. Mm -hmm. And, like, have done all of it already. And so, like, instead of, like, making references in the second movie to the first movie, they made references in the first movie to, like, what was planned on being the second movie. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most iconic things in this movie, besides the Jamie, the killer's behind you, or, like, Jamie's right behind you, um, is his um, rules for the horror movies... Yep. And I think that plays so well into the entire concept because I'm blanking on his character's name. Randy. So, oh, it's Randy. So when they're in the movie store where Randy works, he's like talking about like all the things that like make it, you know, like the red herring for like mm-hmm. uh, Sydney's dad. Yep. All these things that are like, oh, well, if you see the horror movies, you would know all of these things. Um, yep. But then obviously his three rules of horror uh you can never have sex you can never drink or do drugs and everybody boos him <laughs> and then well, I the think never... they boo when he says that too, you can't have they sex. make a joke about him like being a virgin yeah um and then it's never say i'll be right back yep and then immediately steve's like i'm gonna get another beer be right back <laughs> i will also, say that i like well the first time i watched this i hated matthew lillard and like it's like i think that's just like how much of a douche he was and like how much like it made it easy to hate him and i love him as an actor in general yeah he's like such a goofball did you know that he wasn't planning to audition and the only reason he auditioned for this role was because um his girlfriend at the time was auditioning for a role in the same building oh no i didn't did you know that he and um Neve Neve Campbell. Campbell? I don't know why that sounded weird for a second. Neve Campbell uh, dated for like two years after this. I did not know that. 
Yeah. Very odd. Another really interesting thing about uh, Scream 2 is that there was like an entire screenplay league um, of the movie before they finished filming it. And Oh, uh, I didn't well, know that. So they like completely rewrote the script for Scream 2. Uh, in the original one, it was going. The killers were going to be. It was there was gonna be four. It was gonna be Sydney's two roommates, or Sydney's roommate and her boyfriend, and uh-huh. then Mrs. Loomis and Cotton was gonna be one of the killers as revenge for what for uh, Sydney like testifying okay. against him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe Sydney was like gonna die. Uh, I feel like I read that. Hold on. Um, but yeah, they rewrote it and they like had to closely guard who the killers were and they only mm-hmm. told like certain actors. That's like MCU kind of shit before the MCU where they don't, yeah. they only, they only give you the specific scene that you're doing that day. So no one actually knows what happens in the story. Um, I, and I also find it like kind of upsetting that Jamie Kennedy dies in two. Like I was like, like I, I enjoyed the fact that he survived. Oh, that he survived the first one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I kind of hate the dynamic between Gale and Dewey. I hate it's it. It's, like, creepy. It I don't gets... like it. It's wor- gets worse throughout the franchise, and I hate it the whole time. Well, it's funny, because they get married. They do, yeah. In real life, but there's, like, no chemistry between them. No, absolutely not. Yeah, it's super weird to me in the films. Like, it does not work. Yeah. Um, I actually, uh, well, before I go into this, um, my one big complaint through the franchise is that they changed the formula for Scream 3. And I think Scream uh-huh. Scream 3 is looked at as the worst of the series. Yeah, I would agree. Scream 3 is not good. Um, I kind of hate that the killer is Sydney's brother. And I think that's so dumb. And I, I don't like that. Because, like, why, why? That's so stupid. And they hold hands at the end. Like, why? It's so dumb. Yeah, I, um... I think that they, like, I, I get what they were going for, and, like, her having a brother was, like, for absolute shock value. Yeah. Um, but I I agree. I don't like that. I think that they, like, couldn't figure out who to make the killer, to be honest. Yeah, that's kind of the vibe I got as well. So they just, like, made it a twist for the sake of... They, um... What's the one act... The one director that does twists that doesn't make sense? Um, he did... Shyamalan. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you knew where I was going with this. Yes. Um Yeah, I don't like I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on Scream 3. Like it's just it's fine. It's fine. Um, also Courtney Cox's four. hair is terrible. <laughs> She's like three. talked about it, hasn't she? Probably. I feel like she's like come out so. and commented on it cuz people make fun of her hair for that in that one. It's so bad. Um I do want to go to Scream 4 though. Yeah, let's I do love it. Scream 4. I wasn't expecting to like it very much. I actually like Scream 4 better than 3. Well, that's not hard. Yeah. My one thing that I definitely noticed is that uh, if you look at the first three films and then look at the fourth, the way that they 
show the gore and the killing and like the disembowelment is so much more specific and i think that's really telling of that particular time period because if you look at other films that come out in that time they're all kind of that same vibe where they're like super gory super bloody they're trying to be realistic with their cgi Mm -hmm. and it's very obvious so i think that's just very much like oh this is just like a sign uh a timestamp yeah. type film. Yeah, and I think that's interesting because, like, there are certain parts of, like, Scream 1 through 3 that have, like, timestamps, mm-hmm. but it's not anything other than, like, what they're wearing, some yeah. of, like, the socially acceptable conversations that they're having. Yeah. But as far as, like, the pure horror aspect of it, like, it's not really timestamped. I think that that, like, proceeds, transcends time. Yeah, so I think Scream 4, you can very much pinpoint exactly when it came out without knowing when it came out. You can tell that it's a remake. Well, that too. Like, you can, or it's a, it's an attempted continuation while also remaking the franchise in today's format. Um, Which, like, you don't have to do, and I think that that's, I think that's, that's where, like, maybe they messed up a little bit. But I actually really like it. Like, it brings back a lot of, like, the parody that's what i think is cool too three lost yeah i mean well three complete like i said it completely changed the formula and it didn't that's why it didn't work four brought back the formula one of my favorite parts in four is like the intro where they're like doing a stab within a stab within Mm -hmm, a stab mm -hmm. and it's just so funny because like you see, what is it, like, Kristen Bell and Alison Brie die at some point. Well, Alison like, Brie is actually in. Oh, yeah, sorry. It's Kristen Bell and someone. Um, I can't remember exactly who, but it's, like, like the first two set of people die, and then, like, they're actually watching, like, they're in a movie. And then, and like, then the, the other two, two girls pe- are watching, and they're also in a movie. Right. Uh, I think that's it's hilarious like, when they did the stab within a stab. I thought that was really funny. Oh, yeah, and it's... It was just, I wasn't expecting them. I was expecting it to be, like, a stab within a stab somewhat. And, like, when that happened, I was like, oh, that makes sense. And then when it, when it was a stab within a stab. Yeah. And then, like. Then the you people, go into the actual movie. Yeah. Right. I wasn't expecting them to do, like, two deep inceptions. Yeah, I thought that was really a really fun way to bring the movie together. Yeah, I thought so, too. Overall, I mean, they don't. It's not as ironic and not as, like, self-referential um, as, like, 2, where I think, like, 2 is really, like, the peak of that self-referential um, aspect because, yeah. like, it's referencing the first one. Yeah. Um, I still really enjoyed it. Like, it it references – it does reference itself in that, like, it references the first one heavily mm-hmm. with um, Emma Roberts, like, kind of being, like, I'm going to be the new Sydney. Like, Oh, my gosh. Then, Emma Roberts in this movie is – Psycho. She's crazy, but then I was also, like, looking at it, and I'm like, oh, she just plays the same character in American Horror Story a little bit later. <laughs> yeah, sort of. Um, it's funny because she actually, I would argue, like, plays – uh, a parody of this character in Scream Queens. Oh, totally. Um, but yeah, I, I actually really enjoyed Emma Roberts in this. I think she did a really good job of being like absolutely psychotic when like when it came out that it was her. She was absolutely psychotic. I thought that that was a really good twist on this, like because that was one that it it wasn't so obvious. Where like if you look at it in like 
the first scream. It's so obvious that Billy is yeah. the killer. Um, the twist there is the second killer. This time, the twist is that it's her cousin. Mm-hmm. Like I thought, and that it's was her a fun cousin twist. for no reason other than wanting to be famous, right? Like that's so 2011. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. And like, what I think is funny too is that like the um, accomplice is her boyfriend, right? And in the first one, like, Matthew Lillard, Stu, like, accidentally gets killed. And, like, she intentionally does it. Oh, yeah. Um, I didn't talk about this when we were talking about the first one. There is a lot of, like, weird sexual tension between Stu and Billy. It's very... Oh, yeah. It's well, very it's interesting. Because they never there. tell you why Stu was in it. Like, yeah. Stu is just like, because we're psychos. But, like, he, I get why Billy does it. Like, they explain Billy's motive. Yeah. Stu doesn't have a motive other than, like, being Billy's friend. And other than just being a part of it. Right. And so, like, it does kind of insinuate that, like, was there something going They're on They're, like, like, all over even... each other in those final scenes, though. It is very Hot weird for steamy. that time. <laughs> It is. And maybe that's the reason. Like, maybe they, like, it, that's what Wes Craven was intending. Who knows? Wes Craven died six years ago, so we'll never know. Guess we'll never know. <laughs> um, So we can kind of talk about this a little bit, but, yeah. um, I mean, we have other topics to talk to, but I would say the future of the franchise, uh, Scream, air quotes, five, is coming out mm-hmm. in January 22. They're currently just calling it Scream, which confuses me. Well, are they making, like, one of the letters into a five? Because they do that all the time. No. I have not seen that at all. It's just it's just okay. called Scream. Okay. Um, it's got going to have... It's supposedly going to have... Well, maybe they're camp- doing the whole, like, Halloween 1978 versus Halloween 2018, 2018 thing. Maybe. Um, so it's going to have Neve Campbell, David you. Arquette, and Courtney Cox... Um, it's going to be directed by Matt Bettinelli and Tyler Gillett. So those two worked on the VHS series and Ready or Not, which came out in 2019. Um, Wes Craven actually had said he was signed on to direct a fifth and sixth Scream film, but obviously yeah. he died in 2015 so right so they were when they rebooted it they were planning on another trilogy Mm -hmm. and so it was not known for a long time whether it was going to be a reboot or just a continuation Mm -hmm. it's wild though it's been like 10 years since four i know it's literally been 10 years since four right so like it's it's been a long time we'll see where they're going with this one yeah i'm interested to see there's not a lot that's come out about it and knowing that it's slated to come out like january 14th or something crazy like that that's kind of soon and there's been nothing that's come out and the only description is something like a woman goes back to her hometown to investigate a series of brutal murders right it's gonna be interesting i'm excited for it i'm excited too because i'm sure that they're going to like it's going to be, like, a period piece as far as horror goes. So oh, I'm excited yeah. to see, like, what they are calling 2020 horror. No, I like agree. the 20s horror. Um, so, thought for you. Mm-hmm. Looking back in, not just because Scream is your favorite horror franchise. Put that, like, out of your brain for a moment. 
do you think that the film holds up as a horror movie over time? I don't specifically think it's scary. the 1996 one. I don't think it's scary. I don't either. So watching it, like, I don't think it's scary. I think there are moments that like it's jump scary. But I, also I don't even don't think, think it's jump like, scary. Like, Halloween. There's like a one moment I think where like all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, like one, literally one. I think where I was like, oh fuck, I forgot that happened. Um. I don't know. I think that, like, a lot of the iconic horror movies are actually not that scary. Or not I agree. scary at all. I agree. Like, I don't, think, I don't think Halloween or, like, Friday the 13th or The Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, I don't think any of those are, like, really that scary. No, I agree. At the time, I think I did. Um, so, I mean, I do think it holds up in that regard. Like, is it, like, as scary as modern, as modern horror? No, but that's because some modern horror is fucking terrifying. Yeah, I know. Um, I think, like, for what it is as, like, a, like, time piece, like, time frame, like, the 90s horror. I'll say mid-90s horror. Yeah, I think it holds up for that. The one thing I do think really holds up, and, um, I was reading a discussion post about it, people were saying that, like, the idea of a masked home intruder, that holds up, and that's actually been done obviously time and time and time again yeah of you know masked intruder following woman in home mm-hmm. some of those movies are real well, scary and that's i think why it holds up is because like does that idea still scare me absolutely absolutely like, i am a woman i used to live alone i'm still alone sometimes like that's that fucking scares me um oh yeah i think like i still enjoy watching it so like I was enjoying watching it last night when I rewatched. I had a lot of fun rewatching it, and uh, I don't even know the like, I'm, again. I made Steve watch it with me. I yeah. don't know the last time he's watched it either. So we were right. having a lot of fun watching it. Right. Yeah. Matt like joined for he finished work like late, so he joined for the mm-hmm. second half. Um, but I I still enjoy watching it. I still enjoy watching all of them. Um, there's some like obviously like problematic statements and moments, but. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, like, then that's, I think, just indicative, like, when it, when it was made. Mm-hmm. But I think it holds up over time. I still, it's still an enjoyable horror movie to watch. I do think it's interesting, because I know a lot of people our age mm-hmm. that uh, the Scream franchise is their favorite horror franchise. Oh, interesting. But I think that's, like, a nostalgia thing. Yeah. I think that's the fair. first horror movie I'd ever seen. My sister made me watch it before we went to go like see Scream Three in theaters. Nice. She like maybe she rented all like the one and two and was like, "We're gonna watch this, and you're gonna be scared because you are a child." That that checks out for siblings. Yes, um, I did find this really fun thing that I thought you would appreciate going through. So Screen Rant put together. Um, how um, all of Randy's rules explained and how they're broken throughout the films. Oh, that's I like that. Okay, be so, fun. so in the first one, he obviously says you can never have sex, you can never drink or do drugs, and you can never ever under any circumstances say I'll be right back. Mm-hmm. And the irony is that um, Sydney they're has all drinking. Well, Sydney has sex with Billy, and then Billy dies. Uh-huh. So that's the never have sex. Um, the never drink or do drugs. So Tatum, that's Rose McGowan's character, whose character name I completely forgot. 
I also um, forget her. She goes to the basement to go get more beer, and that's where she's killed. And then Stu says, I'll be right back, and then is killed. Um, in Scream 2, the rules for a horror sequel are the body count is always bigger, the death scenes are more elaborate, more blood, more gore, and um, uh, never ever under any circumstances should you assume the killer is dead. Yep. Well, they don't explain that in the movie, but... It's in the trailer. Very, right, and they make it very obvious, like, why they shoot people in the head. The, <laughs> like, shoot the double tap the from Zombie... Yeah. The double tap yeah. from Zombieland? Yeah. Well, that's one of the fun, campy things about this film, is you always know the killer is going to pop back up at the end to get killed for reals. Right, and that's... I think that's the one thing... I, one thing I... One time I jumped in the movie was... When Billy, like, you expect him to be dead, and they're like, I don't know if he's dead, and he pops up and she shoots him in the head. That second where he pops up is, mm-hmm. like, so comedic, but also, like, I forgot that that happened. Yeah. So I did jump. So this explains that <clears throat> the the body count is higher. So there's ten people killed in Scream 2 versus seven in the first. Um the deaths were bloodier, and this says, sadly, Randy was one of them when he's killed in Gail's broadcast fan. Um, and then the third is meant to be a reference to the end of Scream. Yeah. You know, when Billy jumps up. Um, the same thing happens in Scream 2. And 3. Um, and then the rules in Scream 3 are obviously, like, he's dead. And he, like, they, like, watch the film of his trilogy rules. Uh, the killer is superhuman. Anyone, including the main character, can die. And the past will come back to uh, bite you. Um, Roman wasn't superhuman, but he was wearing a bulletproof vest. So that's where, like, the superhuman reference yeah. comes from. And then, like, in later in the film, Sydney is wearing the bulletproof vest. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's why assume the main character can die. So you think Sydney gets shot and then she's wearing a bulletproof vest. Um, and then Roman being her brother or whatever is the one behind all of the killings. And he's the one that showed bully the Billy, the footage of, you know, everybody and motivated him to kill her and all of that. Yeah, I think that's interesting, too, like, as you mention it, that, like, I don't love three because they then downplay, like, how psychotic Billy was. Yeah. um, By having Roman, like, be the one that was masterminding the entire thing. I agree. Um, But I do think it's interesting that they do, like, that callback. Yeah, I think, I think that, um... And it's really funny because it's reminding me of this comedy show I went and saw this last weekend. Um, Like a weird prophecy person that runs around. Like that's what Randy is in this film. And it reminds me of um, former guest Justin was in this comedy show I saw over the weekend called Splatter Theater. And there's a weird old man that runs around yelling prophecies about how everyone's going to die. And it's like the same kind of energy and it's like make i didn't really like think about that until just now that it that randy is like giving the prophecy of what's going to happen throughout the film one thing i did kind of want to touch on that i thought was really interesting 
think well, knowing that the film comes from the inspiration of the Gainesville Ripper, um, there's actually been a handful of copycat crimes where people were inspired by this film to, well, stab people. <laughs> to say yeah. the least um i do i did read i think that like they've never really been able to like fully tie some things back to the show or the movie they there's been attempts made to tie things to the movie but i yeah. mean if you think about it people are always trying to tie crime committed by teenagers to music or movies or video games but I think these in particular are interesting because they literally were admitting that they were trying mm-hmm. to emulate Ghostface. So um, January of 1998, uh, two teenage cousins stabbed one of their mothers 45 times. And the case became known as the Scream murder because they said they were inspired by Scream and Scream 2 and that they were looking to get money from the murder to fund a killing spree and that money was going to be used to purchase ghost face costumes and a voice changer. Um, The psychologist that was working on the case said the film provided the blueprint for their actions, even though there was no way to tie it to a film. The psychologist was trying to show that, like, Yes, this film did provide the blueprint for what they were trying to do. Um, In January of 1999, a 13-year-old boy was stabbed multiple times by two of his friends, and those two were called the the Scream Attackers after it came out that they had watched Scream shortly uh, before the attacks and had been drawing the ghost face mask in their school notebooks. Um, Ultimately, the actions were blamed on psychological abuse and quote-unquote black magic which i also have issues citing that that's the reason that kids are whatever insane. that like, what does that mean i don't know that's what i read yeah that's, no i get it that just like that that's complete nonsense that um, is complete nonsense uh there was an attempt to use scream in court back during the columbine killings in 99 as a way to show how violence in TV and video games can affect children, but it was ultimately dropped because it's literally a movie and you can't pin a movie on a psycho teenage killer. Agreed. Um, And then finally in June of 2002, a 17-year-old boy lured his friend out of her parents' home in France, stabbed her 42 times wearing a ghost face mask, and... uh, when he was questioned in the investigation by police, he said he wanted to kill someone to emulate the ghost face killer and scream. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Cause like that, like two of these specifically refer, I guess all of these, except for the Columbine one, like specifically referenced the mask and the costume. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. Cause like, I think that it was just a generic costume previously. Um, and... I actually was reading on this. So, the mask was in the background as a prop in a previous film. It had not been used prior to. Right. It was just Green. like a generic Halloween costume is what I mean. Oh, well, yeah. But I mean, based like, on the discussion. It was discussion... sold as a Halloween costume. And then, like, it became iconic as this. Well, it became iconic and was sold after Scream came out. It was not a thing before Scream. Was it not? No. That's what I was just saying. Okay. It was like a background oh, okay. mask used in a different horror film, and then Wes Craven wanted to use it. Got it. As I thought, like, Ghostface. 
God, I thought that this was just like a generic Halloween costume. That no, this used. this isn't a Halloween where it's a Will Shatner mask. <laughs> okay, fair. Um, cool. So I see you have a link for the ten best deaths ranked. Yeah, I thought this would be a fun wrap up for us. I think that is a fun wrap up. I mean, we can also hit our own favorite deaths as well if um, they're not in here. Yeah. Well, I can, I'm actually going to say my favorite death before we even do this. Um, I can't think of the character's name, but it's the one that gets stabbed through the mail slot. It's in Scream 4, I think. Yeah. Is that Hayden Panettiere's character? No, because her character, they don't actually show her dying. It's, um, I don't know what character it is. It's not Hayden Panettiere. Because she gets stabbed in the, like, the chest or the stomach or something. Oh, yes. You're right. Hold on. I'm looking it up right now. I just think that's so clever that it makes me just, like, laugh thinking about it. Um, it's Jill's mom. That's who it is. Okay. I think that's such like a weird, clever killing. I think I find it really interesting. I just love it. Yeah. It's kind of like unexpected. Yeah. That like they would do that. Um, I think my favorite's still like always going to be uh, Rose McGowan. McGowan. Yeah. When <laughs> she dies in the doggy door. <laughs> yeah. It's just so ridiculous. All right, so let's okay. run through this list. Um, yep. So number 10 is from Scream 3, and it's Jennifer Jolie. So she is the actress that's playing Gail in the movie, right? Is that who she is? I'm blanking. I think Parker Posey is the name of the actress. Well, I'm talking the character in the film. Oh, no. Uh, yes, she is. So she plays Gail Weathers in, like, the retelling of the story, and she literally, her her dying line is, you can't kill me, I'm the killer in Stab 3. Yep. I think that's great. Um, number nine is Jill Roberts, so that's Emma Roberts' character in Scream 4. You know, I think I didn't, I don't think I realized that her last name was Roberts. I didn't either. Until, as I was saying that out loud, I was like, huh. All right. I don't think I realized it either. Um, I think, I agree. Like, her death, like, is insane. Because, like, she gets electrocuted and then, like, is still alive and they shoot her in the head. Yeah. That's a fun one. Or in the chest. Um, yeah, that one's just a wild scene. Yeah, they shoot her in the chest. Um, Christine in Scream 3. She does not get a last name. Um, it's when the... Oh, it's the Cotton Weary voice fake out. And that's where they're trying mm-hmm. to show like that weird bizarre voice faker machine that they use in Scream yep. 3. Um, it made Christine... Uh, oh, Christina's Cotton's girlfriend. That's who she right. is. I was like, who is Christine? It's 
Cotton Weary's girlfriend, and then she thinks that Cotton is the one trying to kill her, and then the, he comes up and kills right, her. Right, and then the Cotton back. dies yeah. in that moment yeah. as well. Um, number seven is Stu from the first Scream. Um, when he gets his head smashed by the television set. Um, number yep. six is Rachel from Scream 4. So she's the one that gets... <laughs> oh, she's in one it. of the stab ones. Yep. Um, well, it's because she keeps talking, right? So, yeah. Like, uh, That's Kristen the one Bell's... with Kristen Bell. You couldn't right, think of so the other actress. It's Anna Paquin. They're watching... Um, I want to say it was like uh, the chick from Pretty Little Liars. I can't remember her name. The, the brown-haired one. Well, they're all like brown-haired. I didn't but... watch that show. Um, I can't remember her name, but like she's in the one that they're watching, and then Kristen Bell gets pissed because Anna Paquin is like making fun of it, and then stabs her. She stabs her like, stomach. Goes, right. Yeah. And then, oh yeah, the line is now shut the fuck up and watch the movie. <laughs> um, number five is Maureen Evans, so that's Jada Pinkett Smith. Um, oh, in yeah. Scream Two, where she's at the stab movie and she thinks it's her boyfriend dressed up as Ghostface, and then she's like yep. sees that he's bloody, and then he just like fucking starts a killing spree in yep. the theater. Yeah, he like stabs her, and she like runs to the front, right? Yeah, and then dies in front of everyone basically yep um we're uh number four is kirby reads that's hayden penetier in scream four um she gets all the answers co- correctly and she thinks she beat ghostface you know answering his questions mm-hmm. uh, See, that's what i mean like there was no way she was gonna get it like, uh yeah um and then uh, the killer popped out or then that's when it was Charlie that was the killer so Charlie's the one that stabs her right and then number three is Cece so that's Sarah Michelle Geller in Scream 2 um, mm-hmm. and then number two is they say Tatum Riley so that's Rose McGowan uh, that's oh, dude, no please don't that. kill me Mr. Ghostface I want to be in the sequel I forgot that um Sarah Michelle Gellar, like, so this is also referenced in Scary Movie, I think maybe two, where, like, she is running up the stairs and is, like, throwing shit down the stairs, and in the Scary Movie version of this death, she, like, throws a piano, like, throws yes. a grandma. Yes! That's <laughs> But, like, uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar was, like, throwing a, a plant and, like, throwing a bicycle yeah. in the Scary Movie. Yeah, she throws uh, a, a plant and then a bicycle, and then she runs to the balcony, and she gets thrown off the balcony. Right. Yeah. And then in the in the Scary Movie version, they're, like, she throws a grandma. <laughs> Um, so Tatum Riley, uh, we already talked about that one because that's the, I want to be in the sequel line. And they, they're yeah. saying number one is Casey Becker. So that's Drew Barrymore in the first Scream yeah. movie. I, uh, I think this is a pretty good list. Like I agree with most of these. Um, I think Tatum Riley and Casey Becker are like the, the two of the most iconic kills in oh, like, I agree. the franchise history. Um, I and think I mean, Casey, Casey Becker Cooper being the first so one. Funny. Uh, Casey Becker being the first one of the, the first super dramatic kill we see. Because, like, yeah, her boyfriend Steve dies or whatever. But yeah. watching her get disemboweled and hung up in a tree as, like, the big yeah. actress is just so wild. 
Yeah, I mean, everything about the way she, like, filmed that scene was just incredible. Mm-hmm. And she, like, lasted for a long time. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I agree. I agree with this list for a lot of them. Some of them are obscure. Honestly, though, now I really want to rewatch the scary movie franchise. <laughs> I do, too. <laughs> Only, like, the first two or three. Um, I've only seen the first three, but I really... Now I'm just thinking of three, where she's like, Cindy, the TV's leaking. <laughs> <laughs> and then she... Uh, the character Brenda gets into a fist fight with the girl from the ring. Yep. Oh, oh boy. Well, that's another... Movies. That's a movie I need to rewatch now. Um, I guess that we're saying that there should be an episode based on there this movie. Maybe once we get through the next episode, because I have maybe a lot. Maybe to Halloween next year. I have a lot movie. to rewatch to get oh, ready for next episode. Um, cool. I don't have anything else. No, I think going through those top ten deaths and like talking about our favorite deaths, I think is a great way to end this. I think so, too. If you enjoyed the show which we both hope you did, please go on your favorite podcast streaming service and give us a five-star rating. And if you're feeling extra saucy, you can leave us a written review. We don't get too many written reviews, and we say every episode, if we get one, we'll read it on air. We have not gotten one. So uh, if you're not feeling saucy but still want to communicate with us, reach out, reach out to us on social media. If you listen through the song, you'll get all of our social media handles and all the places you can contact us. Please talk to us. We love talking to you guys. We think it's a lot of fun, and it's one of our favorite parts of doing this show. Yep. So with that, we will see you next episode for the second part of our double feature Halloween movie. Creature feature. Not a creature feature. It's not a creature feature. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll see you next time. that was the episode so we love hearing from you um and if you want to contact us you can do so through our email address it is drunkanduncultured at gmail.com we are also on facebook at drunk and uncultured podcast our instagram is drunk and uncultured and our twitter is drunk uncultured no and and as always i'm Lindsay, and you can find me on twitter instagram and untapped at Lindsay sold out and I'm Stephanie, and you can find me on Untapped, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr as underscore Stephen Color. And you can also follow my concert Instagram at Shitty Concert Blog. Stay drunk, guys. See you next time.